Our DT Systems, the Wrap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way, but it's the Wrap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT Systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Hashtag man's best kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the, the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide into the DMs. We'll hook you up. All right. Our number one asked question is revolving around Force fetch. Whether your dog drops the bumper or duck at the edge of the water, or you failed a few hunt tests because the dog monkeys with the birds or won't pick up a bird, let me help you help your dog. Bunch of different breeds, bunch of different personalities, start to finish, teaching you how to do it. Links in the description. All right, Hunter, welcome to the show. Do me a favor. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. All right, everybody. My name is Hunter Colbert. I am the social media marketing pro staff. It really does. There's not really a title for it. Kind of a jack of all trades for Kent Cartridge. Um, been with the company for just about five years now. Uh, born and raised in West by God, Virginia. And I am sorry in advance for the pack of wild animals making noise in the background for the next hour. You got you got three on your bed, and I do as well. So it's all good, my friend. We're gonna it'll be a rodeo. Yep. It's a dog podcast. That's how it goes. Did you you're from West where, Virginia? West by God, Virginia. West by God. I mean, that's a holy land if I've ever heard it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. We're about so what, what what part of Virginia is that? Give us a little geographic. Uh, I'm actually so West Virginia, a little different than that really not fun state to the south of me. Um, but I am on the tip. So I could hop in my truck right now. Three minutes I'm in Maryland, 10 minutes I'm in Virginia. Um, I well, really, technically, probably about 40 minutes and I'm in Pennsylvania. There, I mean, I'm at kind of the hub of everything right right here. Very cool. Very cool. Yep. How did you get started with Kent? A uh, family friend ran into my current boss at a social event for West Virginia manufacturers. Right after it was about a year after I got out of college with a criminology degree. So it kind of lines up to get into marketing. Um, and then <laughs> I, 
meeting him like a month later at a bar and it, it hit it off from there. And it's just been, been a blast ever since. Very cool. Well, you've been uh, really fun to work with and you and Kevin have been the main contacts for each other. So tell me, because maybe Kevin knows more than I do and, and our listeners will want to know more, but like, how did you get into the outdoors you know, uh, growing up in that area, what was it like? What's waterfowl hunting like, et cetera? Um, waterfowl hunting in West Virginia could best be described as mergansers. <laughs> I'm not scared. Oh, no. Hey, I will go out and shoot mergs with the best of them. Um, it's a lot of fun. I was built up, or I grew up in the whitetail woods. Um, turkey hunting came second, and is ag- turkey hunting is actually my favorite thing that I do. Um, but Whitetail Woods is where I was born and raised. It's not, it's gotten a lot better recently. Um, the guys are starting to not shoot button bucks, spikes, all that. They're actually letting stuff go. So you're starting to see bigger and bigger deer come out of West Virginia. I have a couple buddies that have been able to kill 150, 160 class bucks right around this area. So it's been, it's been cool to see everything grow, but yeah. Uh, if anybody needs hooded mergansers killed for, whatever reason i can put you on a spot or two <laughs> uh i'm looking at a dual hooded merganser mount from my first dog buck it was his first double and my first double so i shot two birds two shots maybe three i don't really remember anymore but i shot all i know is i missed yeah legendary kevin yeah, I know. We didn't have bismuth back then, baby. That's true. That's true. But that was wild. The look yeah. on his face was like, I, did I really hit him? I can't believe I hit both of them. can't believe I hit both of them. And uh, and it was a memorable, memorable retrieve for me because we were hunting a river. And so he you know, goes and gets the first one. And by the time he gets back, the second one is moving with the current and kick him loose and he's fading with the current fading with the duck picks up on it and it's just like a foot race with the current and he caught up and we're hooting and hollering and so long story short i do have a hooded merganser mount in my office from buck's first double that was probably 10 years ago dude i bet it's long i mean he's 13 and a half now so, I mean, I don't remember what season it was. I don't remember what year it was, but it could have been anywhere between 12 years ago and now. <laughs> now. So, but no, it was a while ago. It was memorable. And honestly, they are a cool bird. So, oh, no, they're super, super, super cool looking. Yeah. And they come in fast and fun to shoot. And when you don't have a limit, and you need to scratch a couple extra off, I'm in. What about wood ducks? You'd think? Super early. Super, yeah. super early. We get them pretty good. Mallards, depending on, so when we had that cold, did you guys get a real bad cold snap right at Christmas? Dude, I don't remember what I had for breakfast. See, stealing my lines already. Um, So we got, it was like Christmas. We had a cold, cold front hit us at like 9 o'clock in the morning. It was either the day before, the day or two before Christmas 
And we had mallards out here like it was Arkansas. It was insane. I mean, but it dropped like 30 degrees from 5 a.m. It was cold or it was like 48 degrees and raining at 4 a.m. when I got up. And by 8.30, it was like 15 degrees and snowing. It was the weirdest. And they just pushed down with it? Yep. I mean, it was chaos. And we only have two mallard limits. So I have two two guys that were dumb enough to come out with me that morning. I mean, we were done in 20 minutes and it was just, but it was nuts. I was calling, I was FaceTiming guys standing in the middle of the river. Like you need to get down here right now. And like, there's no birds down there. And they could hear the freaking hail calls coming down in from up to, I was, it was chaotic. That's super, that's super cool. So with, uh, let, let's dive back a little bit into the Kent you know, you've been there five years. Over the last five years, what's what's it been like working in the outdoor industry and seeing it develop? It from the outside perspective, the outdoor industry looks so big. It's so like I guess the best way like scary, almost intimidating. But once you get in it, you're it it's a very tight knit small community that you don't really expect. I mean, I grew up watching all like the bone collector, Michael Waddell, Bill Jordan, all those guys. And my first year, my first shot show, I'm sitting in Vegas, kind of just taking everything in, sit down at a slot machine, waiting to go to dinner. And I look to my right and freaking Michael Waddell is sitting right beside me. It was like this, the most surreal, I guess it's just everything about it's just been surreal. It's been insane to watch the brand grow um start i mean five years ago looking at the trade show stuff we're going out i mean we had like a 10 foot pop-up banner a couple catalog stands and like some shot on the table and now which i don't want to i'll send you guys the picture of it the mock-up of it but we got a new booth coming that's gonna it'll probably be released at the delta waterfowl show that is, it's like a state, not state of the art, but it is a very, very nice setup now. And it just goes to show that we're reinvesting in everything, making the end user experience that much better. Um, we don't grow unless we can get in front of people and show them that we're real people that actually use the stuff and can back it up. So it's been, it's been, I guess that's kind of a long winded answer, but it's been kind of a, trip to watch everything grow and really progress the way that it has and you yeah. get to travel quite a bit too like you get to go to all these cool trade shows and different oh, yeah. stuff is there I, one that you and you like look forward to going to every year um i i would be lying to you if i there's two of them for different reasons the craziest experience you can get from an outdoor show and what would be coming up in 2024 would be NWTF in Nashville. That is shoulder to shoulder end users for three straight days. It's absurd. The amount of exposure you can get from that event. Um, But another one that's been grown, that has grown on me a lot is the Easton waterfowl festival in Maryland. Oh Yeah. That one's a, I mean, they got dogs. She's not in here at the moment, but Cougar, our little silver lab, which I know you guys love so much. 
Um, I'm going to try to get her into the dock jumping contest, which it's not really a contest. If you go later in the day, it's more along the lines of just getting them to do it. Um, but just going to see the, all the different dogs, all the different people. It's that that's a really cool one too. That's awesome. Yeah. That one is on my bucket list to go and see because I hear it's a blast and it's not that far from us. No. And it's gotten so much bigger like this, this year. Well, it's, so the the tricky thing with that one is it's all that first I think it's the first full weekend in November every year. So it kills me growing up in the Whitetail Woods. I'm sitting in this booth talking to people and my cameras are going berserk. All my buddies are laying down big bucks and I'm just sitting there talking to people about duck hunting. So it it is what it is, but it over the past 4 years, I would say that that event has probably doubled if not tripled in size. Weather permitting is a big thing. There's typically always a day of rain. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a wet, sloppy mess with a lot of beer. Doesn't sound like a bad time. Sounds like college. Yeah. <laughs> not not far off at all. That's awesome. There's a lot of like hunting history down there too. Like that's a pretty cool place to be. Yeah, it's like the the goose hunting, they call it like the goose hunting capital or something like I mean, there's geese everywhere, but you can only shoot one of them. So it, it, it's kind of a yeah. mute point, but yeah, it's for tough. now, they'll bring them back up. Hopefully. Uh, but it, it's great. I mean, and they're everything around there is where the event is is just water. So there's geese at treetop level come in all hours of the day. It's it's a super cool thing. Walk out of the big tent and have a huge 30 pack of geese just dumping in right on top of you. It's it's nuts. That's awesome. That's awesome. Talk to me a little bit about because you know everybody knows about the man. Right. And it, it got a little out. I feel sort of bad, but it got a little out of control with our podcast with how much i love shooting it talk to me about the engineering and the process of coming up with a shot like that and then we're you know i'll take it into the new new stuff but talk to me about the this bismuth craze this crazy high-end you know fifty dollars for 25 shots you know whatever the price is but you know the that revelation or revolution in our industry can we take it back even even more so i guess to be like for someone who's just getting into their first hunting dog just kind of getting into waterfowling like why bismuth what what is it what's so different about it sure you know so bismuth is 24 percent denser than steel so automatically you can jump two shot sizes really on anything you could. So if you normally shoot number twos on geese and you feel comfortable with steel on shooting twos, you can jump all the way to fours. That's effectively doubling your pellet count right off the bat. I mean, it's plain as day. More pellets down range equals more birds in the bucket. Yep. Sam, think of it as, as funny as it is. Think about the craze of turkey hunting. Those guys shoot freaking like TSS nines. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not now granted bismuth isn't the same density as TSS, but more pellets on contact, the better. 
point blank period. That's, that's going to be where it is. If you could put one in its wing, one in its head, one in its neck, you're, you're good. And having something that dumps all of its energy upon impact is another big thing. And it will fours will crush geese. I've seen guys be completely baffled when I show up to the blind and I have, I mean, even 20 gauge number fours on geese. I'm not really worried about it at all. And guys, you still, I mean, you still have guys shooting three and a half inch, two and a quarter ounce BBs at geese. And it's like, that's the only thing you could shoot a 10 gauge at that. That's the only thing that you could shoot. It's the only thing that could kill big geese. It's like, buddy, I'm, I see dudes do it with 28 gauges. Like it's not, I don't, I get it, but I mean, at the same time, there's still guys that think high brass is beneficial. There's, it's all fugazi at this point. It's the, it does nothing to the components. It's just how it looks really at this point, but bismuth bismuth is good. The, for guys that are just getting into it, find something in your price point that you feel comfortable with. That's another thing that really helps is once you get confident with something, everything else falls into place. Yeah. So I shot, <clears throat> I shot for a long time and probably at those Merganzers, all kidding aside was the original OG fast steel. Mm-hmm. Cause it was at that, like it was like 14 bucks a box. Yep. Um, and then bef- I shot, and people who've listened to this podcast for years, like the first few episodes, I have a Browning Satori, and I was shooting heavy metal three-inch threes. Anything else, I wasn't hitting good. Mm-hmm. But those three-inch threes just patterned well or whatever. As soon as we switched to the Kent Bismuth, it was like what I thought was good shooting turned into and maybe I got better, may like, and I'm just being honest. Maybe I got better at shooting. Maybe I relaxed and took my time and whatever. But the knockdown power—you either hit them or you miss them. And when you hit them, it was like, "Whoo, hit them!" Yeah, yeah, hit them. And so it was a very evident difference um, switching to bismuth. Be, and I, I agree with you. I, you, you can do a uh, smaller shot size. So the larger number, just if, if someone's new to this and doesn't understand a two sized BB in the shotgun shell is bigger than a five. So a five is a smaller BB. Therefore they can pack more fives in the shotgun shell compared to twos. So I'm hoping everybody's envisioning what I'm envisioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. Like, so, like, so let's go back to my heavy metal comparison three inch threes. And now I can shoot three inch fives with bismuth or sixes with bismuth. So I'm getting way more pellets going down range towards that duck with more knockdown power because it's a denser material. Yep. So, like, when it basically punches that duck it's got more um i'm not gonna say velocity but i'm not yeah velocity is not the right term but like you're hitting with a baseball energy right like that concussion of 
hitting the bird is more damage, yep. um, which means less cripples, which means more birds in the bag, which means your dog gets more retrieves, which is what we're in it for. Mm -hmm. And the way, another way that you can look at it, if guy, guys are saying steel is half the price of bismuth, you take half the trigger pulls. I mean, you were you hit. here's the kicker. You still got to hit him. Just because it's good doesn't mean you could hit the broad side of a barn. If you can't shoot, you can't shoot. Right. That's how that is. Yeah. There's not I a feel shot. like I'm going to I'm taking that personally, Hunter. That seemed like a shot. At me. Okay. <laughs> and you should. <laughs> but I mean, that that's like that's a big part, right? Like it's still you need to kind of pattern your gun and the chokes you use, which Kevin, right? make a note like patterning a gun let's let's talk about that in a in a minute but practicing shooting and you guys uh you know you've got your seven and a halfs and eights for clay bird and target shooting um which we've kevin and i have and we've been using to get better for duck season but the difference between hitting a duck crippling a duck and killing a duck. If you're in that zone, the bismuth is going to kill it. Mm -hmm. And that that's what was like a major selling point to me was I would cripple uh, I, like we kidded around back in the day on the podcast, cripple King. I'd knock him down and my dog was going to go and get it. Now it's knocking them down and they're down. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it's it's definitely Im important, um, but now I guess I don't need Kevin to jump in. But look, with a certain gun and certain choke tubes, do you find the the Kent works better with certain things? Like, is there any kind of method behind that? No, that's. One that's a super interesting thing. I went so growing up in the Whitetail Woods, you take when you're sighting your rifle in at the beginning of the season, it's three shots and you think you're good. That's what I thought it was going to be like coming into shotgunning. When I tell you you could take shells from the same box, put in three different guns, and you would get a very different pattern. Same gun. Like if you take three of the same gun, same modified choke, put them side by side by side, they're more than likely not going to like. The patterns are going to be drastically different throughout the three. It is the weird, every the quite literally every gun and choke combination you can imagine is very different. Wow. Um, I got lucky with my personal gun. I'm which this is an even crazier thing to say. I don't have a sight. On my gun, my front bead fell off someplace in Arkansas. Yeah, have it back on, and I've been shooting better without it. Um, yeah, you don't need it. Yeah, it's kind of like a recurve bow almost. Um, is, that's what I tell everybody, and it's it works. But you got to just once again find something that you're comfortable with that you like, and just shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. Just when you think you shoot enough, just go shoot some more. I mean, it's what kind of gun do you like to take duck hunting? Um, so I have my trusty, this is probably going to be a first, um, it's a Rate Massimara. Oh no. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I have one of my, uh, first friends that I had in the hunting industry was Jesse Hyling. If you've ever heard of him, 
Um, he's kind of the top dog over at the at Rite and he, he hooked me up pretty good. And it's, I've treated that thing like a $2 steak. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've used it as a boat paddle. I, it fell in the river and froze up on me one morning and I put it on the grill on the front of the boat and thawed it out, tossed three shells in it, blasted away on them. Um, but, and then I run a Carlson's mid range and it done. The only time it comes out of my gun is when it's Turkey season and a Turkey tube goes in it. That's the only difference in it. Now you mentioned that, that like when you're shooting your personal shotgun, the fact that you added a caveat there that it's your personal one, does that mean that you have like a work one? Cause I have like a personal email and a work email. Do you have like oh. a work shotgun? That'd be awesome. Well, technically speaking, I have like 150 work shotguns. All right. That's a pretty cool job, Perk. Yeah. Um, really, I could just go into the go into the lab, yell at Mr. Jimmy, grab whatever Ferrari I want to out of the safe, <laughs> take it to my destination. Um, another awesome caveat of the job. I go to some pretty ignorant places and hunt some pretty ignorant duck holes. Um, that being said, if the, like we have a show or a sponsorship that shoots this shotgun or that shotgun or this camo, that's just what I take with me on that trip. And it, it gets to be pretty, pretty crazy. Not going to lie. That's Where, awesome. Where'd you go? Did you go any cool places last year? Um, got to hunt out of a hundred year old duck blind in Corpus Christi. Really? That was, what was that like? Uh, ignorant. I don't know. It was, that was another awesome time that lined up for me. Got to hit a cold front down there and there were ducks everywhere. Um, killed two Mexican mallards or modeled ducks. Um, yeah. With the same, same thing, same shot, one shot, pulled the trigger. Two of them fell and I don't have them back yet, but they will be going on my wall here within the next, I would imagine I'd get those back over the next two, three months. Cool. Um, but they're a super cool little bird. Um, and it, it, that was, that was a super fun whistling ducks. Yeah. That, that was a, there was a bunch in of. Corpus random, Christi? Yeah, in Corpus Christi. Yeah. It's, uh, it's called the Port Bay, Port Bay oh. club. I want to say. Uh, I've never been able to hunt a whistling duck, but, uh, there's a few different kinds. So like, Forgive me anybody from like the Florida, Texas area, Louisiana, but it's like a black belly whistling tree duck. Fervilus is or some some with an F. I don't know what it I don't know either. Well I got a Google machine in front of me. Give me okay, Google it. Um, but those are on a bucket list for me. They're they don't even look like a duck. They're they're pretty wild looking. So Yeah, he was very confused while they Yeah, Flovelis. F F U L V O U S whistling duck. Volvis. There you go. Volvis whistling duck. That's oh, what it is. Sexual, bud. This is a <laughs> the ladies out there. Yeah. Um, um Bob's yeah, got a model duck in his kitchen. I do have a model duck. Yep. South oh. Carolina, rice field, model duck, Drake, in kind. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's cool. Um, where else did you get to go? Um, last year was, I've stayed pretty close to home. Um, didn't get a lot of travel in, had some, uh, some weird 
family stuff going on, so I decided to stay close. But normally, you can find me in Arkansas, Tennessee, bounce around them, bounce around a fair amount during the year. Do you do Real Foot Lake by any chance? I do not know. That's a so that's in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. That's like a bucket list place for me to go. I don't know why. I think I saw it on a TV show when I was like 15. I'm like, that place looks badass. Yeah. We uh, drove by it one time. Remember seeing signs right. for it when we were driving south? We had like yep. a 20-hour car ride. And you're right. Like, huh, look at that. There it is. You're right, Kevin. Um, cool. So, all right. We talked about the difference between bismuth. We talked about shotguns and shotgunning a bit. What has Kent got? that has just come out that we're exploding into the world. And now I need a new tagline to make up for this. So I know we just kind of honked the bismuth horn pretty good. So I don't know how I'm going to backtrack into that, but (laughs) so for the past two years, I've gotten to shoot this stuff really walked it from its baby steps I mean, when I tell you to go through the R&D process, we turned, there was no stone left unturned with it. Um, and then we launched it. It has been out for just under a week at this point. Got a lot of great feedback, but it is Fast Steel Plus, which is a layered steel on steel load. So all the, all the bismuth guys, I'm sorry. Um, but I have shot it more than I shoot bismuth anymore. It is something that you want to talk. So best of both worlds, fantastic patterns. And the pellet count on it is pretty gnarly as well. Um, It's offered in BBs, twos, twos, fours, and fours and sixes. So when he's saying layered, it's BBs uh, and then twos are on top. Yep. Then what's the next one? Twos, fours. Twos, twos and fours. And so, again, essentially, you're getting more pellets in that shotgun shell going downrange. Yep. We're carrying the energy. So you're matching. So what what it has is you'll have the fours on the bottom. Using twos and fours as an example, you'll have the fours on the bottom, twos on top. You're going to get – you're not going to get – the full pattern that you would with carrying normal fours, but you're having a pattern filled with twos that carry a pretty hefty amount of energy. The same energy that Bismuth number four carries, the steel twos carry. They don't transfer it as well, but that's why the fours are behind it and they will clean up everything that the twos bust up. So you will still get those nasty thump shots where you're kind of like chuckling to yourself, like, oh, that was pretty, pretty brutal. Um, I'm hitting shots, going back to hunting, really interesting. Get get out of here. Um, Really interesting river conditions, taking shots with buddies that for the sake of R&D, I'll squeeze one off, see how it goes. I hit a buffle head this year, a passing shot on a buffle head at probably the better side of 60 yards and crunched it. No. Um, yeah, it's I have buddies, I'm sure everybody has it, um, that show up with anything other than Kent the blind, just to kind of bust my balls, do what they got. They're friends for a reason. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
I have a friend that says, if you feel, if you don't feel like less of a man after hanging out with your friends, they're not really your friends. My friends live up to that. Um, but every single guy that I took hunting with that fits that criteria this year asked for a box of this. It was, yeah, they never did that with bismuth. I could tell you that much. And it was, it's, it's gnarly stuff. And I would not be talking about it if I didn't fully back it. So I will say all my friends came out of the woodworks asking for bismuth. Guys that <laughs> yeah, we are had like, the opposite effect. It was like, yeah, we had the opposite oh, effect. Oh, what's going like, on over here? Hey, oh. I hear you're with Kent. Can I get, can I get a couple boxes? I'm like, man, I haven't talked to you in seven years. Of course. <laughs> Sir, you're just getting gas next to me. I don't even know you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but that's awesome. So bismuth. Hey, did you know? That bismuth weighs more than steel. It's kind of a no-brainer, but maybe you didn't know that little fun fact. So what that means is you can shoot a smaller size than if you were to be shooting steel. So for instance, let's say you shot three-inch threes, which I used to shoot before I shot bismuth. I now shoot fives. That means you've got more BBs in each shell going down range that packs the same or more punch so more bbs down range means more likelihood of hitting the duck and with that bismuth more likely that that duck is going down better than doornail you and your dog get the retrieve bingo bango bongo bismuth by kent from the duck blind to the holding blind baby it's purina the food that fuels the truck of lone duck the big dogs are eating the 3020 purina pro plan sport we do the chicken blend. I've also had friends that have super success on the salmon blend, but it's a great food to fuel the athlete that gives you their all. So why don't you give them your all? Feed Purina. Talk to me about uh, BBs and twos for geese. Oh, I got, so I've been Talk using. Talk to me about that. Thinking through, like if if I'm the average joe and i want to stock up for the season and i goose hunt 30 percent duck hunt 30 percent and i guess so, whatever uh, yeah i'll meet you in the middle twos and fours crush anything under the sun okay it is i'm trying to figure out how to work the tagline into it along the effects of it's like getting hit with a piece of two by four or something along that line I don't, I haven't, I'm not the best creative mind in that aspect. Versatile is a two by four. Yep. They're done writing it down right now. (laughs) Here you go, Kevin. You're making your money. I'll send you an invoice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, it is, it's wicked, wicked stuff. Um, I mean, you could go on, I think Rogers just released clips of looking at, they came out a couple of weeks ago and shot some videography before the launch. And you can, I shot 2.0 ounce and a quarters or ounce and a quarter, number two, three, and four. And when I'm shooting, I'm looking at the twos, threes, and fours hit the pattern board. And I was like, dude, I don't know how this is going to, like I was starting to get worried that the new stuff wasn't going to be able to live up to see the difference in the patterning of the normal 2.0 loads. And then I shot the twos and fours and everybody was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. There's a distinct, so that what we've seen with the twos and fours, the twos will hit 
and the fours will almost draft off of the twos and it sucks your pattern in instead of blow it out. So that's another, like if you put it on a patterning board, you can see keyholes in it where you'll have a number two hole and then right below it or right beside of it, there will be a number four and you'll see it all throughout the pattern. What about, so uh, one thing we had this gentleman on, his name is Lars Jacobs. Uh, basically, to, if anyone didn't listen, go back maybe eight episodes or so. I'm going to rough that. I don't that. remember, but he was awesome. Super, super knowledgeable and was... Uh, yeah, he blew my mind. He was way over my head. <laughs> Worth listening to. But he is a uh, shotgunning instructor on the wing. So not like standing behind you shooting clay birds or sporting clays. And he was talking a lot about the shot string and how that, like, as it's moving and ejecting and swinging, you have that shot string um, where when you go to a patterning board, it's a stagnant object that takes the brunt of it. Um, And I don't know if there's even a way to do that. Okay, so talk to us about that. Has not been done yet. We, I guess we're time traveling here a little bit. Do you guys, are you guys a week behind on your launches? Record and launch next week or? Uh, this will go out next week. Yep. So time traveling. So while you guys are listening to this, I will be taking my best stab at slow motion videography, trying to show, I don't know how successful it's going to be. I've never done it before, but Fair enough. we're taking our best stab at getting the shot string on camera that's sick yeah that's pretty awesome well we'll definitely be sharing that with everyone but that's that always kind of i mean i think no matter what when you when you uh layer the two shell or sizes together you're creating that pattern but what would be interesting to see and i I don't really know if a camera could pick this up with the size of the shot between a two and a four, but like, it's so crazy to see that. It's almost like, remember foxtails when we were a kid, it had like a tennis ball on one end and a long thing. And you just like throw it to your friends and you catch the end of it. Maybe I'm aging myself. No, I'm Um, tracking you. Those are great. They were a great game, but like, that's, that's your shot string. So following through on your bird is super important. And so what's hitting in the front and what's following through behind it and all that stuff. Knockdown power equals more birds in the bag. That's my thought. Yep. And that's why I love bismuth because of the knockdown range. But if you were to layer like, okay, hear me out. 2024 layered bismuth. I'm just saying. Hey, you did not hear this from me. Don't say it if you're not allowed to say it. <laughs> but there may or may not be things in that, the world. Love it. I don't know when launch dates, when that sort of thing is happening, but little birdie, there might be things getting worked on. I don't know. I'm just I'm just the marketing guy. I just show up and look pretty. That's right. You just show up and shoot all sorts of cool guns. Yep. Yeah. Not bad. But I think I think that idea of of multiple sized shot going down range with this fast steel plus 
makes sense. So what is, you know, one of the, I'm going to say this as a critique because we're going to get it and you get it. And we all, everybody in the industry, when they hear pricing, whatever. Bismuth, what's retail on Bismuth? Wow. 35 bucks a box? No. 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 Our MSRP. That up real quick. 42? I'm trying to, I'm, man, I guess I. Let the man who knows his job do it. Yeah, that's fair. Good call. Three-inch bismuth waterfowl, you are MSRP, which will be above what you see it on the shelf, but not not much of a 20, little bit of a difference. $69.95 box. Ooh, dang. Yeah. Right? So we'll get that pushback on people like the old hashtag must be nice that you can shoot that and da-da-da-da-da. Okay. Fair. Not everyone can afford it, nor do you have to buy that to kill birds. So if you're a 17-year-old kid with a $12 an hour job that wants to go duck hunting, which that was me and Kevin growing up. I mean, we bought what we could afford. Yep. Now, as you get better and you're not shooting 25 rounds to kill one duck, you're shooting eight rounds to kill your six ducks or 10 rounds to kill your six ducks you can kind of see the value in spending a little more to make sure you got the knockdown power and not lose cripples and i get it right so it's different for where you are in life what is the uh fast deal to uh plus how is that going to equate to the bismuth so it might so I can give you a full full rundown on it now. Done a little bit of research on you. So a 12-gauge, 3-inch, number 4 bismuth. Pellet count is 215. Looking at a website right now that has a case listed at 524.99. So you're looking at 52, 52.50 a box of 25. Okay, it's not so bad. No. Fast Steel Plus, 12-gauge, 3-inch, 2s and 4s, you were looking at 198 pellets to 215, and it is $249 a case or $24.99 a box. So dang near half the price for for folks who are are hunting on a budget, if you will. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is, it will give you the pretty much. Dude, I can't believe that. That's wild. Yeah, what a deal. Identical to what you're going to get from Bismuth. Bismuth is still Bismuth. Like, like there's no, you're, there's a clientele that's always going to shoot Bismuth. But right. if you're that kid that's trying to flex on all your buddies, decked out Zitka and your clapped out little truck. Bastille Plus is by far. I mean, the, the stuff that we have, my boss loves to say we have the best stuff under the hood. Cut open any shell on the market right now. It's apples and oranges. I mean, we everything that we do as a company is very, very meticulous in what goes out the door. 
Mm-hmm. The amount of QC, the care that we take with stuff coming in component wise is night and I mean, it's, it's very, very rigid. We haven't lessened anything on COVID stayed on top of everything. It's been nothing but quality stuff coming out of Kent. But if I had to pick right now, I'm grabbing the fast steel plus box. It's, it's all that. And then some. All right. Well, I'll have to dabble in the dark arts of the plus this season. And I'm going to have to come up with a new tagline. This is yeah, the hardest part of it. I don't have a tagline yet. Do you, ooh, Hunter, do you guys have a tagline for it yet? Uh, our tagline is next level lethal, but it might be versatile as a two by four. <laughs> Son of a bitch. That's Kevin. a little bit of blue collar in there. I, I, I feel like people will respond to that. Yep. All right. No. Um, I have a question. You, you brought up COVID. Um, and this is not maybe as a representation of Kent, but maybe you take it as you want. But our country as a whole had a hard time with ammunition. And so what caused that? What? How did you overcome it? Where is it now? Where is that industry where it's like, we're out of stock, we're out of stock, we're out of stock? How did that, how do we just go before I ask 10 questions to get you to answer one? Um, I'll try to just cover all the bases. Um, so COVID as a whole, super, super weird. I mean, top to bottom, nobody's ever dealt with anything like that. Um, I think my grandfather was alive in 1918. But other than that, I don't think it was much, much of a difference. Um, Our factory, if I could give a pat on the back, our factory guys kicked COVID's ass. I mean, they exceeded expectations when everybody was shutting down. We were still nose to the grindstone, pumping out as much as we can. Granted. The amount that we could pump out with supply chain stuff was limited and not where we wanted to be, but it was still, we did, we did the best with what we had. Um, it's a nightmare, um, top to bottom. I mean, we had stuff where we get all of our hauls pre-primed from Shadeet. When that comes over halfway through COVID, going into port, that became considered explosives. So when that came into port, it would be scanned and a whole, I mean, it, we couldn't get guys that would drive it up because it took them eight hours to do it versus four hours on another trip and they could get two trips in a day. It, it's like, you name it, it happened. And we made, we made the best with what we've got. It's starting to loosen up now, but now we're however many months away from the most desi- divisive election in U.S. history. I mean, so that's just going to restart everything, everything with Ukraine. I'm waiting on something to happen over there where any number of our suppliers could push more materials to the war effort or this, that and the other. I mean, it's it's anybody's guess what's going to go wrong next. But if the last three years have told any of us anything, it's the the what can go wrong will go wrong. There's not a doubt in my mind that that's going to happen. What do you think caused the supply chain issue? Um, the everybody, as much as I love social media, social media led into, I mean, th- think about it. There was a point in time where 
everybody and their brother was filling their cars with toilet paper. Yeah. Social media craze. I watched people put gasoline in Walmart bags because social media said gas was going to run out. Social media, while it is awesome, I have a job because of it. It's the most toxic place in the world. People don't, I mean, it's kind of disabled everybody's ability to think rationally. I mean, you see somebody say something and it's like, oh, that's the truth and nothing but the truth. Honey, grab your Walmart bags. We got to go get some gas. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, he's not talking about our force fetch course, anyone. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you get enough Karens behind of it. You can, uh, they control the media and it, it's just, it's there. Um, there, I mean, there were guys that normally bought five or six cases from the local sporting goods store would call in that they can't find anything. I want a pallet. And it was just, it, you can only ramp up in a, what that was really like a eight month window at the beginning of it. You can only ramp up so much in an, in a small of an industry as the outdoor world is, and let alone shot shells, you can only go up so much in a certain amount of time with that, when everybody's going up. If one person's shooting up, when other everybody else is staying stagnant, that makes sense. But when everybody goes up 25%, that means components are going up a hundred percent. They can't jump up a hundred percent overnight. And it was just a train wreck. And then it's like, think of it as like the traffic on the interstate going into major cities. Somebody a mile ahead of you hits their brakes and you can see the chain reaction for a mile and it just screwed jacks everything up. And it's just train wreck after train wreck. And it's going to continue to happen. It slowed down significantly. You can start to see like there were times where we could send quite literally a semi truckload of ammo eight hours it's gone and that's some random store in iowa like there's like no rhyme or reason to it now you can see shells going out i think we a lot of our stuff started going out the door last week it'll sit on the shelf for a little bit not long but it'll stay you're not having stores i mean i heard stores only being able to sell three boxes to people at a time oh yeah here in new york it was two yeah. You could buy two boxes. It could be 22 ammo and a 12 gauge duck load. And that's all you could get. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's craziness. And it, I feel like it was a small amount of people going in that have the money, do this, that, and the other. I mean, look how much people got in the outdoors the past couple of years. Not sure. saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm a huge the one of my goals every year is try to get at least one new person in the hunting period. I do. I can pretty much hunt year round. Like there's no I do it all. Anything that runs from me is typically gonna get hunted, is the way I look at it. And I try to get one person in the woods at a time. But the past three years, it's been like five to ten guys, guys and girls who say, Hey, love to figure out this hunting thing. What do I need to do? And it's, I'm virtually a nobody. So if you look at places that are actually cool and fun to hunt, like out West, I can only imagine what that looks like. So it's just, you got more hunting participation, just, just the perfect storm, really. No, that makes sense. It, it, it became frantic. Everybody stocked up. 
places couldn't keep things on the shelf. And then that also drove the price up, yeah, which no. is what it is. Yeah. But uh, it's a very interesting time. So with Kent, where, where can people order it, order ahead to like, I would look at it like we don't want this to happen again, which is me driving sales, which could be that whole storm, what we just talked about, but you would hate to be caught September 1st and go, oh crap, I only got three boxes left. So maybe start thinking about duck season now in June so that come September, October, November, you're not going, uh oh. Yep. So where do they where can they get it? How do they order a case or a pallet? What do, what do they do? So right now we are we've been shipping super heavy for the past couple of weeks now. Um, so you can start to see it pop up anywhere that you buy shells is where you're going to be able, probably be able to find it. Um, if there's, if you, for whatever reason, you can't find it someplace, shoot Kent a message on Instagram or Facebook. I will be the one responding to it and I will do my damnedest to put you on a case of shells, whether it's bismuth 2.0 an upland load, Bastille plus, whatever, whatever you need, I will, I will get you hooked up one way or another. Cool. What is, uh, so, excuse me, in our industry, we've seen some direct to consumer. So you're taking out the middleman of the runnings, the Cabela's, the Bass Pros. What is that like? What is that going to be like as we grow as an industry? I, I don't really know how i mean i'm so i'm a criminology sociology guy people is my thing the business i i get it but looking at how the industry works i don't think that i mean you got to start somewhere but i I don't think the industry guys that go through the normal channels necessarily agree with how it's done um, from what I've seen, ruffles more feathers than not. So it's meaning going that, direct to consumer, meaning sure. going direct to consumer ruffles yeah. feathers. Yeah, having that option where you're not selling to stores, not cutting the middleman out is it's not it's not the best way to do business. Now there's people that do it and they do it well and it works, but it's just not not really my cup of tea. Um, and I, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. I also think it's one of those things like when you remember that a seven, well, I, mean, I don't know how can you be buy ammo? You probably can't buy ammo at 17, but let's just say uh, you're 18 to 22 year old college kid who's getting into hunting. They're, they're going to the store. Mm-hmm. They're looking at what's on the shelves and you want to be the brand that recognizes it. Yep, man. I want to jump in. I know we've chatted uh, uh, quite a bit about your dogs and in, in the past and stuff, but you have uh, a couple handsome dudes in the back there. Can you introduce everybody uh, audibly? I suppose to you got a, a good looking shepherd back there. Yep. So that the shepherd is Goose. He is our oldest and biggest boy. And then we have Maverick, who is our English cream retriever. 
she is the middle child and then cougar which is our gray-headed stepdaughter um (laughs) she i mean i she's a handful she is an absolute handful um how old is she now oh she's like maybe a year just so just over yeah you got a little bit of time until she settles down oh yeah dude it's like sun's up she's up and you better come prepared because she's gonna run a little bit like, that's it, awesome though we go with a bumper and i'll throw it till my arm gets tired and it's just non-stop she i mean i can't put weight on her she's like 50 she's probably like 55 pounds right now and is just skin bone looks like a eight-month-old boy puppy like she's <laughs> um and she she's very very driven five months old she was retrieving doves for me well retrieving is loose um she may or may not have ate a couple of them on the way back but i don't know i think did i talk i talked to you about that if i remember correctly yeah i think so when bob bob's gonna he, he's taking a quick break but he can come back hey uh ask him for some thoughts and opinions on that one but um let it rip ask thoughts and opinions but yeah we can do that now yeah sorry your way brother all right your favorite type of dog eating whole birds on a on like what she was she was young she was probably five months old ate two whole doves on retrieves um but snack yeah won't, won't touch duck feathers We'll pick doves up like it's nothing. Ducks, wood duck, I goose goose wings, nothing. Won't touch it. So I have a funny story about doves. I lived in South Carolina training for a while. And probably one of the first few dogs that I trained went home and dove hunted for the first time. And he was a hammer. Absolute stud. He ate 13 of the 15 limit. He would be going down his gullet on the retrieve. And by the time he got back to the owner, it's gone. Um, Legit, like the answer is he grew out of it. Like he just realized that this is not a, like, but they're, they're so small that, and the feathers are so light and come off easily and on a dog who's got a bigger mouth and whatever like all of a sudden it's like halfway in there anyways they're super soft and gentle and if they have a little bit of hard mouth at all they get that teeth in there and all of a sudden it's like oh crap this is a morsel this is like a chocolate chip cookie goop down the gullet one and done oh let's go get another one goop down the gullet one and done so uh, I would encourage you to probably postpone and kill a few without it and maybe freeze them so they're a little bit harder and it can grip it. Um, and I would put them on a check cord. And so you can reel those that sucker in quick and catch it before it goes down the gullet and take it and be like, hey, good dog. Thanks for bringing it back to me. Toss it again. And so you have more control over the dog in that situation where it's a training environment versus you got a gun in your hand, you got buddies celebrating that you got one, whatever's going on, and it's 
50, the dog is 50 yards away versus 15 feet, and you can pitch one, it goes and gets it, and you reel it in quick. Grab it, good dog, throw it again. Grab it, reel it in, throw it again. And, and it just snaps them out of that. As far as not picking up actual ducks, um, you know, my biggest thing is play drive, retrieve drive. So you're taking that duck that you shot duck hunting, your wood duck, and you just tease and tease and tease and tease. And when they can't take the teasing enough, you toss it. And so you're just amping them up to the 10th degree and toss it. And then if they don't grab it, you run out there, grab the duck, tease him again, tease him again, tease him again. And so if, I mean, he can see my hand, but if you go on YouTube, blowingduckoutfitters.com, you'll see me do this with my young dogs where you're teasing back and forth, back and forth. And that little dog's mouth is chomping to try and grab at the bird. If they're sort of curious, sort of nervous, I'm amplifying my excitement level and I'm getting them to the point where they're like, I think I want to grab this thing, but I'm not sure. And that's when I send it. Mm -hmm. As soon as you see them try and grab it out of your hands as you're teasing, that's when you toss it. Or you can be teasing, teasing, teasing. And as soon as they grab it, you like let your hand relax instead of continuously teasing you let your hand relax and oh my gosh, they caught it. And then you just like let go of it and see what happens. Most of the time they drop it, but you grab it again, boom, 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 boom. Try it, try it, try it. And so they're like, they might get a wing the next time. Okay. And now they have it by the wing, grab it, tease, 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 toss. Um, the other thought on that is a lot of times they have FOMO, fear of missing out. So if you toss that duck, and you've got a check cord on it, and they get to the duck, and you gently, you don't want to tug too hard, but you just gently pull a little bit away from the duck, okay? Sometimes they, like, give in and leave the duck alone. That's fine. Go up to the duck, tease them, tease them, tease them, toss it again. But if they actually are trying to figure this duck out and kind of want it, but not super certain to grab it, you put a little bit of a, we call it back pressure on that check cord. So you're, you're pulling away just, just, just enough. So they have to lean into it and it makes them go, boom, grab it. And then hell yeah, had a dog mm-hmm. and then they drop it. Fine. It was in their mouth, little baby steps. And then all of a sudden they're picking it up carrying it a few steps, drop it, add a dog, and you just build that up. Um, after you do all those things, I would say force fetch the dog. Um, but but I don't like just to caveat it into people who listen to this all the time and me talking about force fetch all the time. I really want the dog to be retrieving on their own with a ton of fun with birds and bumpers on their own without having to force fetch them and make them do it. I want to have it already naturally like light bulb click off that this stuff is fun and I'm going to do it because I love it. And then I'm going to put rules around it via force fetch to say, well, now that you love it, this is how you do it properly. So to the Johnny down the road, whose dog will not pick up a duck, 
force fetch is your answer. But I would much rather take the time and build that drive and that light bulb moment that clicks to say, I'm going to grab it. Even if it's by the toe, even if it's by the wing, even if it's by the head, and it just drags it a little bit, let's get that light bulb moment going where it just goes, I like this. It's fun. I'm not sure about it, but I'm liking it. And then you can build upon that. So that's, yeah. I'm going to send you a Venmo now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We, uh, I feel like that's highly applicable to a lot of people. Oh God. It's a question we get all, um, a thousand times a week. Yeah. Maybe not a thousand, a hundred, a lot, a hundred times a week. Hunter, is that like, I mean, what do you think? Does that sound like your dog? Does it sound like your dog's older than that period of time when we were chatting about it? But like, no, but she definitely has that. Like you can go and tease her and do this, that, and the other. And she becomes very driven on it. And I guess with travel season, I've laid off of that a little bit. And I need to just have that. I got, I have two, what, where are we at right now? We're June. So I have like a month and a half before I start traveling again. So I'm really just going to, I got a couple ducks in the freezer that, not probably gonna make them out wall this year so yeah. i'll just go through and do it that way and just keep keep on or do it how many times did you guys say would you do it daily would, I would do it daily. daily i would do it daily and i would spend five to less than 10 minutes on it i mean if in five minutes they're like shutting down and saying this is boring now i'm gonna stop i want to always leave them wanting more and always interested so you have to gauge what's in front of you as far as the dog goes. But if she's not doing it, but she's still kind of into it, I might do the the uh, the old let me try one more time. But if after that one more time, I'm, I'll probably stop and say, you're done. I'm not going to throw you bumpers because then she's getting what she wants. She's getting rewarded for not picking up a duck. I'm saying, you're done. We're going to do something else or you're just done for the day. And another kind of like tidbit would be do not throw her anything for a few days. Great. Like, I know this is kind of controversial, but like she gets no fun. So her life is going potty outside, crate time, potty outside, crate time. And I bet you two after two days, she's going to be like, let me out of here. I'm ready to do whatever he does and throws for me. And you just see the, and, and we saw it huge with COVID, which we've kind of talked about on this podcast, but we've it was huge because everybody worked from home. So the five-month-old puppy or four-month-old puppy was outside of the crate all day long, exhausted, you know, being busy over in the corner chewing on a bone. And then at five o'clock when you were off of work, you're asking it to try hard for something. They're like, no, nah, man, I'm tired. So that thought process of a little bit more crate time where they're pent up and kind of freaking bored and they are just itching to do. And now you're you and that duck are that thing. You're going to you're going to have a little bit more traction there. Um, But more birds, less bumpers. Uh, another little tip would be and I, I don't like to do this because birds are expensive and they're hard to come by. So if you have six birds, use five on land, keep them dry so that they last and you can refreeze them so you can use them all summer. 
but maybe thaw one out and throw it in the water. Because sometimes that dog on land can think about what it feels like doing, where when it's in the water, it's like, well, I'm either grabbing it or I'm not grabbing it. And it's like a commitment. And when it's in the water, sometimes they'll forget that they aren't sure of grabbing a bird. They're, does that make sense? So like, if I'm not sure of this, but I'm already halfway there and I'm in the water and all of a sudden, like I got, I either am getting it or I'm not getting it. Typically they'll grab it. And now they've had a bird in their mouth and you don't take it from them. If they drop it on the shore, that's fine, whatever. But sometimes it's like, Oh cow, you know, like legit instinctual light bulb goes off in their brain. They're like, this thing is cool. Throw it for him again. 10-4. I will keep you guys updated on the Cougar Diaries. The Dude, I love that name. Sounds like she's a 50-year-old dime piece. Yeah, no. It was – she's so – Silver Labs, known as the little meth labs of the uh, <laughs> dog world. Um, I, so we have Goose Maverick, and we – it was like right before or right after Top Gun Maverick came out. I can't remember when it came out, but we were looking to get a boy dog and it was going to be a rooster. Yeah. And then Cougar just quite literally fell into our lap. And I was like, okay, so what my fiance wanted to name her Charlie or Penny or something, which that doesn't, you can't have a, a Charlie, I kind of get, but a duck dog named Penny. I don't, ah. So Cougar from the original Top Gun was the dude that freaked out in like the first three minutes of the movie. So you get a crazy, crazy dog, crazy dude, mix it together. Plus she's a girl. So Cougar also is funny in that aspect. I agree. It's perfect. So it makes sense everywhere. She goes to shows with me, um, which is another, you want to talk about attraction at a booth. Holy freaking Lord. But if I had a dollar, for every time I was asked if she was a Weimariner, I would be retired by now. <laughs> well, that'll happen. But, dude, my big thing is as long as you love your dog and you go in and build it and train it and hunt with it, I don't care what color it is. Um, I'm just happy that you got a dog that you're going to be able to go duck hunting with and send pictures of me and Kevin this season shooting fast steel plus, baby. Yeah. No, I know the podcast audience can't see this but that is pretty much how all of our dogs live it is the most spoiled life in the world it's nuts yeah i mean you know you can't see my dogs either but i have one setter sleeping on top of another sleeping on top of a pillow i mean it's ridiculous they live a pretty good life it's a good life all right hunter let's wrap this bad boy up tell everybody where and when and how they can try the new Fast Steel Plus, where they can follow Kent if they don't already, I'd be shocked um, and ashamed of them. So where can they find them on Instagram? Where can they find them on all the websites? And then how do they get the new gear? So Instagram, Facebook, both at Kent Cartridge. New gear should be, by the time you guys hear this, should be popping up everywhere that you normally buy your shells from if for whatever reason it is not in that store ask somebody at the store to ask somebody about kent um i know i've said this a thousand times it puts the 
biggest freaking smile on my face every time, every single time I post anything about bismuth, waiting for the comments. You guys <laughs> make mine. I mean, it's like as soon as I post it, every single time, bismuth. There was one guy that was like, <laughs> Posting like 50 bismuth with like 50 H's on the end of it. It was like, it's comical. I absolutely love it. Super appreciative of the relationship that we've built over the past little bit. And I'm just really excited to see how this next, uh, next couple months goes. Yeah, me too, man. And you know what? We need to get you on a hunt with me and Kevin. You're not that far from us. All kidding aside, like where you are is like a six hour ride. We can make this happen. Let's get together this hunting season, whether it's we come to you or you come to us or we meet somewhere. And uh, it's going to be hard for me to not to shoot that. Mm. But I will try the plus. I will send it down range. And I promise you I'll knock down a duck or two. Yeah, that's what I like to hear. At a baby. All right. Ken Cartridge on Instagram. Tell him we sent you. Hunter, thanks so much for being a part of tonight's episode. And I am, all kidding aside, excited. I will give this hunting season to the plus. Hey, join our community. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our YouTube, if you enjoy Instagram, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. The link is in the description. Click that link, join the community. We've got tons of great videos, tons of great content, and you can ask me more questions. So join it, enjoy it. We did it for you and you're helping us produce this show so thank you so much to that community get in get out let's roll patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters hey listeners nick larson here host of the bird shop podcast as fans of this show you may be interested in the conversations on the bird shop podcast where we discuss all things upland hunting from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns bird dogs and gear used to pursue them whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more i interview a wide range of guests each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share if you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation please consider subscribing to the bird shop podcast today Thank you.